Have you ever dropped a glass and it just sort of shatters into a million pieces on the floor? Uh, have you ever spilled something and it was like a million pieces, it was like Legos or something? As I was preparing for this message, one of my kids dropped the pencil sharpener with the shavings everywhere. Also, as I've been preparing for this message, I plan to record today and right outside our road, they're working on the road and so you might hear some road construction. You could ask, well, now what? Have you ever spilled something like food or a drink and it was just such a big mess and you really weren't sure where to even begin and so you're asking, well, now what do I do? Maybe I should just go find a new house or a new room or a new office and just sort of move my stuff there and sort of forget about the mess. And I think we're right now in the middle of one of those seasons in our country. So let me address and sort of name a few of the million pieces of Legos on the floor of our lives right now so that we can face up to the situation that is 2020. We're about a week away from an election that is dividing our country with a mail-in ballot system that is new for many people, with results likely to take much longer to get sorted out than we're accustomed to. That on one side, we're gonna have people um, looking to their candidate who won through a very difficult election cycle. And then on the other side, we're gonna have people who are distraught about their candidate losing and about the potential direction the country might go different than what they hoped for. And really both sides are gonna be asking the question, well now what? Uh, number two is COVID. Um, you know, we're all sort of getting a little bit fatigued with COVID. On top of all the health, the physical, mental, emotional health concerns, um, there are millions of people facing economic challenges with every family figuring out a new education model. And all of us are spending more time in our houses than we ever dreamed of. And on top of those things, our country is continuing to recognize the systematic racism that hurts our sisters and brothers of color. So we're all sort of asking the question, well now what? If our candidate loses, we're sort of thinking, well, what are my expectations of life and how are they gonna change based on this candidate winning? If our candidate wins, we sort of ask the question, well, what really are they gonna be able to change and improve about our country? As COVID regulations relax, we're sort of asking the question, well, what happens if or maybe when an outbreak in our area occurs? And what will it take for people of color in our country to feel like they're actually first-class citizens? Now what? And one of the most challenging things about these now what situations is our desire for control and certainty. That most of us spend our lives, like those kids in the shopping carts with those little steering wheels for the kids, that they're being pushed by their grandparents or parents, um, but they sort of think that they're in control of the shopping cart, or at least they're pretending they're in control of the shopping cart. When in reality, there's someone in control behind them. And we all think that we want or we need control, especially in times of uncertainty and transition. But most of us spend the majority of our lives seeking out control and clarity and security. But all of us, I would say, want certainty. Mark Nepo describes us this, he describes us so well this way. He says, we are the only creatures that seek out guarantees and in so doing, snuff the spark that is discovery. Think about that for a second. We so badly want guarantees, control, security, and certainty that it sort of snuffs out the beautiful things that are curiosity and discovery. And slowly but surely, we begin to put premium value on those things that bring certainty, or those things that we think we can control. And this is not a huge or a new insight, but at some point, your certainty is going to be rocked. That the only certainty is uncertainty. And what happens in those moments is so critical. And unfortunately, as Jesus followers, sometimes we make these now what moments even more challenging because we think that what makes faith fall apart 
is doubt. But in reality, we're sort of neglecting or sort of ignoring the fact that what can make faith fall apart is being too certain of the wrong things. Have you had an experience that exposed, even temporarily, the illusion that you were in control? How did that impact your faith? We all have a desire for control and certainty. And while we don't like it, eventually we realize there is such a lack of control. There seems to be a lack of clarity and security. And there seems to be so much uncertainty. And into those moments of uncertainty, Jesus has something to say for all of us who ask the question, now what? Throughout the series, we're going to look at a few small parts of a three-year period of Jesus' life where there was such a huge transition happening. And the people at the time didn't even realize the full magnitude of the transition that was happening. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, especially didn't realize the transition was happening. Because as we'll see, their desire for control, clarity, security, and certainty blinded them from seeing clearly and responding appropriately to the situation. And hopefully we can learn from these religious leaders of what we should be certain of and the things that it's okay to be uncertain about. We're gonna be in John chapter nine. If you wanna follow along in the Bible app, you can open that up, go to the more menu option, click events, and you'll find our church. You can also go to the notes section of the chat. We'll also have them on the screen as well. John chapter nine, beginning in verse two. Rabbi, his disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sin? Because basically at this point, Jesus sort of, uh, they're walking along and they come across this man who was born blind. And in this time period, um, people had sort of come, become certain of the fact that someone who had an illness or a disease or a health problem, they were probably in sin, either themselves or their parents. So continue on verse three. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And Jesus sort of starts off by correcting their certainty by highlighting another option. And then Jesus sort of does something that's quite strange and not normal. He spits in the mud, or spits in the dirt rather, making some mud. He takes the mud and then puts it over the blind man's eyes. And then Jesus tells the man to go to the pool and wash it off. When the man does what Jesus says, he can see. And so he's excited and ecstatic and he's celebrating that fact. And then he goes back to his neighborhood. Verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. The, basically, the discrepancy between what they were so certain of and what they were seeing in front of them was so big that they started to ask some questions, which is a really good response. Verse 10, They asked, Who healed you? What happened? Verse 11, He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud, and spread over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Again, the discrepancy between what they were so certain of that people couldn't be healed on the Sabbath and yet what they were seeing in front of them was so big that this man apparently is healed. The discrepancy was so big that they decided to take the man to the religious leaders to help them figure it out. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was such a deep division of opinion among them. That basically the Pharisees lose their minds because they are so certain that Jesus, that, that really people in general, can't heal or do anything on the Sabbath. But this sort of creates a little bit of a division or a split amongst 
the Pharisees because some of them are saying, well, this guy has healed, been healed on the Sabbath and so maybe the Sabbath isn't such a big deal. Well, sinful people can't heal, but this man looks healed, so maybe Jesus isn't sinful. Maybe he's actually God. And the leaders, or at least the vocal leaders, are so certain though. And so they say something contrary. They say, people can't heal or do anything on the Sabbath and Jesus isn't God. Now at this point, they probably, or before this point, they probably would have benefited from just pausing for a moment and asking the question, well now what? But instead they choose their certainty. Continuing on verse 17, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind, who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The blind man replied, I think he must be a prophet. And the Jewish leaders were still so certain, verse 18, the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called his parents. They sort of went up one level. Then they asked this, the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this, though, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah or indicating that he could heal people would be expelled from the synagogue. But the Pharisees don't like this man's answer or his parents' answer because it was so different from what they were so certain of. And they were certain that Jesus couldn't do this. And so they don't like his answer, but they kind of keep going around and around and around about this. And if you're new to faith or you're new to our church, I'm really glad that you're here. One of the kind of perplexing things about being a Jesus follower is how these religious leaders could so easily miss Jesus. That these religious leaders, part of their job was to sort of interpret and teach the ancient writings, the scriptures. And in these ancient writings, they believed that the Savior, a Savior Messiah was so clearly predicted to come to earth. That this Messiah or Savior would come and rescue the people. And yet, these religious leaders were sitting face to face with the Savior of the world and they missed him. And part of the reason, a big part of the reason that they missed him was because they were so certain of what the Messiah would do and how he would do it. Continuing on verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Well, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. And an important part of this interaction is this formerly blind man acknowledging what he does not know. And then it sort of gets a little bit comical because the Pharisees, like, they still can't wrestle with it, so they keep asking the man to repeat his story and what do you think happened. Verse 27, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? To which the Pharisees respond, we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man said. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. And kind of an interesting twist, the, the blind man has a little bit of wisdom and there's still some things that are going to be corrected by Jesus a little bit later, but he has this insight into who God must, or who Jesus must be as God that the Pharisees even don't understand, the religious leaders don't even understand. And this formerly blind man is sort of able to step back from a, a less certain thing about not healing on the Sabbath 
which basically the religious leaders base their whole argument on, he's able to step back from that less certain thing to a more foundational thing that only God can give the power to heal. And which brings us really to our point for today, that being certain of things beyond Jesus can be challenging, can lead to problems. And the Pharisees get so upset with his response that they sort of curse him and they throw him out of the synagogue because their certainty was everything. Their faith was really in their certainty. It was not actually in God. Is your faith actually faith in God? Or is your faith in the certainty that you're trusting God for? Has your quest for certainty made God a means to an end? So the Pharisees threw the man out of the synagogue. Continuing on verse 35. When, the, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Because remember, before the man went and washed and he could see, he was blind, right? He couldn't see. He, he literally didn't know what Jesus looked like because he couldn't see. So continuing on verse 37. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Verse 39, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And Jesus basically says, like, I've come to show some people who think they are so certain and they can see so well that they are actually blind. I've come to show other people who, who think they are so uncertain and can't see very well that they can have certainty in me. And some of us, including me, sometimes think we're so certain and we see so clearly. And Jesus might just tell us that we are blind, just like the Pharisees. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were standing nearby him heard him and asked, are you saying that we are blind? And then Jesus sort of shifts and um, starts talking about sheep and gates and shepherds and thieves. And next verse in chapter 10, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Now, most of us have heard that the thief is actually like Satan. And, and while this does sort of describe Satan, it seems that Jesus is sort of indicating that this, the certainty of the, of the religious leaders actually is who he's talking about. He's talking about the Pharisees as being the thieves. He continues to describe the thief in verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he's basically saying that only a thief would cause chaos, would come into the sheep and cause chaos with the sheep. And the chaos and harm and destruction that the, the thieves or the religious leaders are causing is due to their certainty. Their certainty of understanding and teaching uh, from their limited perspective about God. There's certainty that some people were unwelcome or not loved by God. There's certainty that the Savior would have to look and act a certain way. That they acted as if their religious system would sort of fall apart without this certainty. However, some of us know that what can make faith fall apart is being too certain of the wrong things. That being certain about anything beyond Jesus can cause problems. And we think that life is sort of linear. It just sort of goes linear fashion. In reality, life is probably more like a graph with a horizontal axis and a vertical axis, with the vertical axis sort of indicating our confidence or our certainty in God or our lack of certainty in God. And the horizontal axis being our confidence or certainty in life or our lack of certainty in life. And we think that it should continue going up and to the right. And that as our confidence in life or our confidence in God grows, that the other one would grow as well. 
when in reality, I think the place that God wants us to go and Jesus is leading us to is to stay on the vertical axis. That our confidence and certainty in God can grow even while our certainty in life may be zero, may be nothing. That we are really living in a time of uncertainty. And this sort of brings us to all of these now what moments in life as we sort of ask the question, now what? And this is where Jesus, I think, wants to lead us to, that we can be certain of our relationship with God when all hell is breaking loose in our lives. And Jesus would say, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus says that the fullness that he's talking about is found in confidence and certainty in God and the Creator, all while there is no certainty in life, and there may not be certainty in life beyond God. That being certain of things beyond Jesus can cause problems. And deciding to embrace uncertainty and embrace certainty in God, it requires trust. That when we're willing to start trusting God through the uncertainty of life, you will experience the fullness of life in those moments. And yet, if you're completely convinced about God and completely convinced about life, you're going to eventually end up like the religious leaders, the Pharisees that were around Jesus. You're going to start judging other people. And you're going to start to kind of be flexing on other people and abusing your power and saying things like, we are certain we are in control and we are certain that we have God all figured out. And then someone gets healed outside of your certainty, like the religious leaders. And, and they weren't happy. They weren't joyous. They weren't celebrating the fact that this man was healed. They were mean, demeaning, and they just sort of pushed people away from God. And doesn't placing premium value on certainty end up robbing us of joy, robbing us of curiosity, and eventually it destroys our relationships? That's where that usually leads down the path of certainty in this life. And Jesus says, if you want to have life to the full, it's all about trust. Trust and confidence in a God that there is a God who loves all people. And yet there's uncertainty in life so I will trust God. And in the coming weeks and months, when we're faced with the uncertainty of the election, of, of COVID, of racial justice, of all the different lists of things that we could come up with, we have to ask ourselves some questions. Is my trust actually in God? Or is my trust in the certainty that I'm trusting God for? That is my trust actually in something else? That if the election doesn't go like you hope, would that cause your trust in God to come crashing down? If COVID, if, if you lose your house, if you lose your income, would that cause your trust in God to come crashing down? Have you maybe made an idol out of certainty? Because here's how the psalmist sort of described this issue. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have, found who have no confidence, rather, in the proud, or in those who worship idols. That we shouldn't make an idol out of anything, but we especially shouldn't make an idol out of certainty. And some of us have maybe made an idol out of certainty. That we shouldn't place premium value on control and certainty. Because over the next several weeks, we really do have a choice. We have a choice to sort of sit back in a non-existent place of thinking about control and certainty. Or we can sit in a place of trusting God. And God is saying, trust me through the uncertainty. Don't start looking to certainty in this life because it doesn't actually exist beyond me. And so who will you trust? Will you sort of be kind of arrogant like the religious leaders? I've sort of been arrogant like the religious leaders at times, thinking that we got everything figured out and we're certain about God, we're certain about life. 
Because isn't it interesting that the moment that we start becoming certain about something, something happens in our life that sort of shakes us to our core. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's a conversation with a child that sort of just rattles you a little bit. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full. Even when there's people offering you certainty or they're causing uncertainty in your life, Jesus says, I offer you trust. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who's not just a new God, but you've been a God throughout the years and throughout the centuries and throughout history. And there's been so many ups and downs and now what moments that people have said, well, now what do we do? The Roman Empire has collapsed. Now what do we do? Um, all the empires around the world are falling apart and all these little nations are springing up. There's been famine and plagues and all kinds of things. And yet, God, you've helped deliver people through those things. And so, God, as we come to our now what situation right now, would you help us to know what to do? Would you help us to not look to certainty, to looking to find certainty in this life and, and in our money and in our status and, and in being healthy and whatever it might be, God? Would you help us to look towards you and the certainty that we can find in you? That when there is no certainty in life, we can have confidence and trust in you. So, God, as whatever's happening is going to happen, with the election, with COVID, with the racial tension in our country, with the list of other things that we're adjusting to. Would you help us to look to you first for our certainty, for our confidence, that in you alone we would place our trust? Would you help us to be honest with ourselves if we're putting our trust in something else? Would you help us to see that and would you help us to know what to do? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.